break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch-Out, 20th of July, 2021. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about Pedro Castillo triumphant in Peru. Finally, they've announced that election result after six weeks. We're also going to be talking about the big sugar industry and the red tide in Florida and how they're connected. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to start with the fact that there is no voter fraud in Arizona, despite a massive campaign to say otherwise. And that was a protest last week in the capital of the United States, pressing for action on voting rights legislation at the federal level. But just another reminder that despite there being no evidence of significant voter fraud in the 2020 elections, the false claim that there was has been the basis for an aggressive attempt to limit voting rights in many states around the country. And one of the epicenters of this broader effort to restrict voting rights has been in Arizona, where leaders in the state legislature have been conducting a so-called recount of 2020 votes in Maricopa County. That's the state's most populous county. It's where Phoenix is, by the way. And to be honest, it's been pretty clear since the beginning that Arizona's so-called recount, and you really have to call it a so-called recount, of the 2020 election was absurd from the start. But it really became abundantly clear that it was completely and totally absurd when the partisan company hired by the state's Republican leaders started having their assessors, whatever you call them, use black lights to try to detect fragments of bamboo in the ballot paper because of a wild theory that hundreds of thousands of ballots were flown in from Asia pre-marked for Biden. And it really just continued to reach new heights of absurdity when even the Republicans who controlled the election board in Maricopa County felt compelled to speak out publicly against the effort because, you know, they administered the election and said there was no voter fraud. Well, Now the Associated Press has done a deep study of the issue, getting into county-level records to see how many cases of voter fraud were recommended to investigators by county election boards. They found 182 cases that were forwarded for further review out of 3.4 million votes cast. Only four of those cases have led to any charges, two Democrats and two Republicans. No one has been convicted as of yet, and not one vote was counted twice. Biden, by the way, won the state by 10,400 votes. Maricopa County, where Republican leaders associated with President Trump claimed the bulk of voter fraud took place, found just one instance of possible voter fraud out of 2.1 million votes cast. 
Now, of course, Maricopa has been targeted by Republicans because it has many Latino voters, and the accusations around voter fraud are very racially charged. For instance, in Michigan, Republicans wanted to recount Detroit, but not a white suburb that actually had a higher rate of potential voter issues. And same basic deal here in Arizona. The accusation is that a huge number of undocumented immigrants are voting illegally for Democrats. So despite the Republican-controlled election office repeatedly stating there were no problems, a recount has been mounted to push forward the idea that non-white voters are the backbone of a major effort to steal the election for Biden. But again, only one potential case in Maricopa County out of 2.1 million. Now, the majority of the cases, 151 that were reported to prosecutors, come from Pima County, where officials have a practice of sending every potential issue to prosecutors for review. And in 2016 and 2018, they did something similar. And the cases they forwarded, well, there was nothing there at all. So don't assume that those 151 cases they forwarded are even real instances of voter fraud. But that being said, Pima County election officials have noted they saw an increase in what appeared to be, from their point of view, intentional double voting in those 151 cases they forward. There were a number of them. Now, what did they blame for that rise in intentional double voting? Well, they said that fears of the Postal Service messing things up played a big role because of the massive delays that were happening in the Postal Service, which you will remember were deliberately caused by the Trump-appointed Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. And the other thing that the Pima County authorities highlighted were the fact that statements were made by President Trump during the election, actually telling people to vote twice. So in the county most open to the idea that there might have been a small amount of voter fraud, 151 potential cases out of 524,000 votes cast, election officials are blaming Trump's own actions for most of the instances they consider to potentially have some merit. So yes, the Arizona voter fraud emperor has no clothes. And the entire issue of voter fraud in the country is really a total scam. A Washington Post analysis of the 2016 election found just four confirmed cases of voter fraud. Professor Justin Levitt from Loyola Law School looked at elections between 2000 and 2014 where over one billion ballots were cast and found only 31 credible instances of voter fraud. 31 out of one billion. An exhaustive study from 2007 reviewed elections that had been meticulously studied for voter fraud and found incident rates between 0.0003 and 0.0025%. So that's basically like three out of every one million votes. As the Brennan Institute, which has studied this very closely and in fact actually carried out that 2007 study, has noted, it's more likely a person will be struck by lightning then tried to impersonate someone else at the polls. Just in case you were wondering, this Arizona recount is costing taxpayers over $2 million. But given all this, it really just truly exposes the totally ridiculous situation at hand where the lie of mass voter fraud is being used to tighten restrictions on voting. 17 states have passed 28 laws to restrict voting in some way. Five states are doing these bogus recounts and with redistricting coming really very soon here, there are many fears that some states will aggressively try to dilute the votes of minority voters by drawing absurd lines for various congressional and state house districts. That's U.S. democracy for you, where the right to vote can be restricted on the basis of race and class, all because of a total lie. I've had so many friends and business owners reach out to me in tears, 
seeing dead dolphins, dead manatees, dead fish everywhere, and no one is doing anything about it. So at a certain point, someone needs to take a stand and say, let's, let's put some action. I've lived in this area for 15 years. I've never seen it this bad. Well, that was the lead organizer of a recent Florida protest demanding action on the red tide issue that is polluting the waters in the western part of the state, talking about the seriousness of the issue. The red tide, a form of algae bloom, is the worst it may have ever been in Florida. And as the comments you heard at the top implied, so far it has killed 800 tons of fish and dolphins and manatees are also showing up dead in alarming numbers. The red tide can also cause breathing problems among humans. Actually, it can even be worse than that, but it often causes serious breathing problems, and you don't need to get in the water for that to actually happen. And essentially, as you could imagine, given the fact that it's killing all these fish and dolphins and others, it destroys the fishing industry, it destroys the tourism industry, you can't get in the water. And obviously, in these Gulf states, and especially the West Coast of Florida, these are big, big industries. So it has a huge economic impact as well as a physical health impact on both humans and animals. So given all this, you can imagine the red tide has become a topic of big discussion in Florida, serious health issue, particularly for those living in the Tampa area. And despite that, despite people holding protests, Governor Ron DeSantis is holding off or trying to hold off on declaring a state of emergency, which has angered residents of the Tampa Bay area. So what is a red tide? It's obviously dangerous. Well, it is mainly caused by tiny microscopic organisms called Carinina brevis. Now, in normal circumstances, they aren't dangerous, but when they're connected to these large blooms, when essentially they're showing uncontrolled growth, they become very dangerous. Now, they've been recorded about as far back as the 1700s, but of late have been happening at non-traditional times and in such huge concentrations, it's creating massive damage to wildlife, human beings, and coastal industries, and it's hard for them to recover. In 2018, you may remember, there was another one of these big red tides. So over time, really changes the contours of the economy and really hurts a lot of these areas. So everyone is asking, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why is it the worst ever? Well, many people are contributing it to a one-time event. This is certainly the narrative coming from the Agricultural Commissioner of Florida, also a Democratic candidate for governor. That's Nikki Freed. And she says that the one big thing is a massive phosphate leak earlier this year. 215 million gallons of tainted water from a phosphate plant were pumped into the Gulf after a wastewater holding facility was about to fail and have serious, serious impacts on the immediate surrounding area. But this bloom started before that spill. And that's where the issue of money comes in. It's been widely documented that these types of algae blooms and other types of algae blooms, which, by the way, are growing all across America in coastal regions, lakes, and so on, are closely linked to runoff from big agribusiness in particular, the fertilizers and other byproducts of what they do in these big factory farms tends to supercharge these blooms as it gets into the groundwater and runs off into the streams and the rivers and into the lakes and the gulfs. In Florida, the runoff is coming from the agricultural heartland lake to Lake Okeechobee in central Florida. And the lake, by the way, has also experienced a huge number of algae blooms that have seriously threatened the plant and animal life there consistently, including this year. But this is a center of big sugar in particular, as well as cattle and other industries. But big sugar is one of the most powerful industries in Florida and the United States. U.S. sugar owns 230,000 acres in the Okeechobee area and produces the most sugar in the nation. 
The hard right fan Jewel family owns 190,000 acres and are well known for lavishing support on politicians, including giving them preferential access to a massive resort they own in Dominican Republic for preferential treatment when it comes to regulations around sugar. So tangling with the issue of agricultural runoff means tackling some of the biggest, richest agribusiness companies that are politically active. So no wonder people are looking to blame a phosphate plant. And to be clear, the phosphate runoff did contribute to it, but it was just a contribution, not really a cause. But the reality is, is the overall situation around the country gets worse. Lakes that provide water supplies for cities and agriculture are in danger, and coastal areas are suffering more and more. I mean, the issue of runoff is so serious, there's now a huge dead zone at the mouth of the Mississippi River. So clearly, this is a big problem for animals, for the health of humans, and certainly for the economies that are dependent on these various water sources. So as with many other critical issues of pollution, this one is deeply related to the highly unsustainable practices of big business. And until that's seriously addressed, a huge amount of our inland and coastal waterways are in serious danger of becoming increasingly poisoned. Well, those were supporters of Peruvian President-elect Pedro Castillo, celebrating after he was declared the winner of that country's presidential elections last night, finally. It's actually been six weeks since the election in Peru, and those elections were clearly won by Castillo, who represents the Peruvian left wing. And there had been no real serious claims of irregularities of any sort, even the United States and the OAS, that are always claiming fraud in Latin American elections when the left wing wins, said they thought it was fine. But Castillo's main opponent, the hard-right Keiko Fujimori, has tried to challenge 200,000 votes. Many of them, just absurdly, were located in areas won handily by Castillo, where there was just no real doubt at all as to who the victor was. Nonetheless, Fujimori and her supporters pressed aggressively to overturn the elections, and in recent days it turned to disruption. They were attacking the cars of ministers in the current government, storming government buildings, seemingly resting their hopes on disrupting the process somehow by creating chaos. And Fujimori herself had been cagey about whether or not she would accept the ultimate result. Now, she did accept it, but it created quite a bit more doubt during the appeals process and led to the feeling there could be chaos. And even though Fujimori has a here, she's saying that she and her supporters are going to continue to mount mobilizations against Castillo. So in a way, it's still not over. The election in Peru has happened at a time that it really is a major inflection point for that country. It's one of the worst hit countries by the COVID-19 crisis in Latin America. There is extreme poverty despite an abundance of wealth created from mineral extraction and quite a bit of corruption all across the political class. And Castillo was really able to electrify the electorate because he was not a part of that political class. He was a rule teacher and a union leader. He campaigned under the slogan, no more poor in a rich country, and advocated for capturing more of the mineral wealth to improve education and health care in particular. His party, Peru Libre, has a very socialistic set of policies and a reputation for Marxist politics. Castillo himself, though, has not presented himself as a quote-unquote hard leftist per se, but he has identified himself with the broader left-wing tide in Latin America, which of course has many gradations, and has also expressed support for the governments of Cuba and Venezuela. 
And he also was able to unite almost the entire spectrum of the left in Peru behind him with his calls to address the historic legacies of racism and genocide in addition to poverty and other class oppression inside of the country and pledging a new constitutional referendum to refound the country as a plurinational republic that recognizes the indigenous heritage of Peru and also enshrines more social rights for the masses of people. His opponent, Fujimori, is the daughter of the brutal dictator from the 1990s, Alberto Fujimori, and she campaigned on a right-wing neoliberal program that was mainly aimed at combating a non-existent threat of quote-unquote communism descending on Peru. And while those scare tactics did resonate with many, it was a pretty close election. It was not enough to overcome the massive majorities racked up by Castillo in the country's most impoverished areas, which tend to be in the more rural areas of the country. The situation moving forward, however, is very unclear. The legislature is deeply divided and has a right-wing majority, and Castillo's camp doesn't even necessarily see eye-to-eye on all questions. Now, while there seems to be a decent amount of support across the political spectrum for holding the biggest companies to account in terms of contributing more to development, there are deep divides on many of the questions, including a constitutional referendum. Peru has been paralyzed politically for several years now, with the number of presidents rising and falling quickly, four in the past two years, actually, and there are some who believe Castillo could face an impeachment proceeding almost right away. So whether or not Castillo can break out of these constraints to attack poverty and build a more equal country is very unclear. He's set to be inaugurated on July 28th. That's actually Peru's bicentennial. Well, whatever else can be said, one thing is for sure, Peru is certainly on the cusp of serious struggle over a number of very important issues and potentially on the cusp of some serious change. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.